0: You're listening to Houston, we have a podcast where we talk everything and anything, movies and their reviews, and this is episode four. Hey everybody, show here. Welcome to Houston, we have a podcast. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. Houston, we have a podcast is produced every two weeks, thereabouts. For your enjoyment and show notes are found at Houston we have a podcast, dot Libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite feed or iTunes, and you can also follow me on Twitter at s n s a l l i, which is sns alley. But, you know, enough of that. Let's talk some movie news. We're going to do something a little different today. Usually we tackle topics of movie news from all over Hollywood, all over the world. But today we're going to focus on one very specific convention going on in San Diego right now. I'm sure everyone is very familiar with it. The San Diego Comic Con is perhaps, not even perhaps, it is the most famous convention for fandoms of various things. TV shows, movies, video games in the entire world. It is attended by thousands upon thousands of people every year. And I mean, I go to the Star Wars convention every year as much as I can, Star Wars Celebration. It went this year. It was pretty cool. Tens of thousands of people went to the Star Wars convention in Orlando, and that convention would still be dwarfed by the amount of people who go to San Diego every year for the San Diego Comic-Con. So in that sense, it, it is one of the best places to get news because it has now become a tradition for large companies, Warner Brothers, Marvel... As long as we're talking about movies, of course. There are TV shows, too. HBO has a panel, for example. We'll talk about that a very little bit. But it's now become the norm for these big-time companies to release trailers and footage and bring the cast out to do panels. All sorts of awesome, fun things for the fans that you can't get anywhere else. And they do it at the convention in San Diego. So... This year, there have been some really fun developments, as as there always is, really. There have been some misses, but I think this year there have been far more hits. So let's get to talking about some news from San Diego. Earlier last week, it had been reported by The Hollywood Reporter that Ben Affleck, who is currently starring as Batman in Batman vs. Superman, in the Justice League, and soon to be, quote-unquote, The Batman, his solo film... That Ben Affleck was to be leaving the Batman role, leaving the post. He'd already stepped down from directing the movie. He'd been replaced by Matt Reeves, who recently directed War for the Planet of the Apes. And fans were understandably disappointed. Ben Affleck was probably one of the best things about the whole Batman versus Superman mess, you know, along with Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. And people were excited to see his take on this older gruffer scarier batman who didn't seem to give as many craps about the lives of his victims as perhaps other iterations of batman that we've seen so i can understand people being upset well ben affleck has done his best to allay those concerns he took the stage he kind of started off the panel actually when when the whole cast took the stage for the warner brothers panel to essentially say He was Batman. I am Batman, you know? I believe he was quoted as saying he would be an effing ape for Matt Reeves if he asked. So (laughs) he clearly enjoys being Batman, and I, for one, am also excited. Count me as one of those people who enjoyed his performance, so I think that's great news for... The DC Comics universe you know we want them to be successful you want the best product it's not about Marvel versus DC it's not about one over the other it's about getting the best product for everything right so in that sense I think Ben Affleck is a great choice and I'm glad he's staying me the next news that came out of so Comic-Con really were just a lot of trailers the Thor Ragnarok trailer Thor 3 that movie's coming out At the end of this year, that trailer dropped, the new Justice League trailer dropped, that movie is also coming out later this year. One that really intrigued me, I admit, was the new Ready Player One teaser trailer, and you know, Ready Player One, for those of you that are not super familiar with it, it's a book written by Ernest Cline, and it was written a number of years ago, it's set to be directed, the movie adaptation is set to be directed by Steven Spielberg of all people. And... It's essentially a nerds 80s nostalgia book. It's a a fun book to read. It's certainly not an amazing novel by any means. You know, it's not like it's amazingly well written or anything like that, but it's, it's a fun read. It does exactly what it sets out to do is to essentially recount all the awesome, fun little things about 80s gaming and movies and TV shows and pop culture and all sorts of things like that and ties it together in a way that kind of makes sense in terms of this virtual reality world that the main character lives inside he's kind of on a treasure hunt more or less to boil it down and you know because he himself is a loser who has no much no other time on his hands or all all this time on his hands he is the one who has memorized all the things about all the games movies tv shows pop culture, et cetera, and he is the one to save the day, get the girl. You know, it's a lot of, you know, look how awesome this character is and look how, look at all the cool things he can do. But if there was ever a medium that book could be turned into, it's definitely a movie. Then, And the main thing I think a lot of people were wary about was, even though Steven Spielberg was directing, was that could they get all of the awesome licenses to make this an actually good movie? Because all of the things they reference in this movie – are things that are owned by various corporations in real life, you know, like Nintendo or Pac-Man or Darth Vader or Duke Nukem or Halo and all sorts of things. I mention Halo because even though that wasn't around in the 80s, I think they've kind of updated the idea of the novel to be a little more present because I think if you put in some, some of the more obscure titles from the 80s, many people who would otherwise go see the movie would be alienated, right? So I think Steven Spielberg made some... Good choices, but still left in the classics. And of course, in the book itself, Klein, the author, essentially lampoons Steven Spielberg himself for some of the contributions he's made to pop culture, whether it's Jaws or Close Encounters of the Third Kind or, you know, anything like that. So I think this movie has a lot of potential, honestly, and it looks pretty fun. You should definitely look at the trailer if you haven't already. And if you are someone who, you know, is into that or has grown up with that, I think you will find a lot of things in this trailer that appeal to you. Honestly, it looks a lot, looks like a lot of fun. I mentioned the Thor, Ragnarok, and Justice League trailers as well. Those were pretty cool. I don't want to spoil too much without you seeing them, and I know some people are more trailer-averse, so I won't talk about the things that happen in the actual trailers, but For Thor, it's amazingly colorful. Some fun uses of music, humor, you know, fun gags, visual, physical. And I think this has the potential to be another game changer for the Marvel Universe in the same vein that Guardians of the Galaxy was a game changer. Clearly, Marvel has taken some pages from James Gunn's playbook in terms of making this movie. Maybe that's just Taika Waititi's style, the director of Ragnarok, but You know, it looks like so much fun, and I honestly suggest that if you are a fan of the Marvel movies, I mean, you've probably already seen the trailer, but if you haven't had a chance, go check out the Comic-Con trailer for that movie. It's a lot of fun. Finally, the Justice League trailer, and you know, I mean, the Justice League movies, or I should say the DC movies up until this point, which have basically been Man of Steel Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, and Suicide Squad. And I'm not counting Wonder Woman because we already know Wonder Woman is awesome, but those other three movies, you know, <laughs> were... Uh, I would say the best one was Man of Steel, and even that was, I would say, average. Maybe slightly below average at best, whereas the other ones were outright bad. And while I am very confident... or No, I take that back. While I am reasonably confident that Wonder Woman is a start to turn things around for the DC film universe. I'm still not completely sold. And then I saw the Justice League trailer. It looks like so much fun. It just looks like everything you've ever seen on the TV shows as a little kid, you know, when the Justice League are in the Watchtower. And I'm not saying the Watchtower is in the trailer, but just that sense of wonder and fun and... If nothing else, it has really made me excited for Jason Momoa as Aquaman. He looks like he is just having the time of his life playing this character. And, you know, I was already excited to see The Flash and and Batman and Wonder Woman and Cyborg and Aquaman all together. But, uh, you know, you have to pick a favorite. And for me, at least right now, it seems like Aquaman. There's a little scene at the end of the trailer with Jeremy Irons. And if you're going to go see it, definitely pay attention to that scene. And maybe there's some speculation on... Who he could be talking to in that scene. I have a pretty good guess based on the last seconds of Batman versus Superman, if you have seen that movie as well. But uh, you know, make the make the decision for yourself. Don't want to influence anyone too much, you know, but just keep that in mind. But I mean, you know, realistically, how long are they going to keep that a secret? I really hope they do and they, they 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 resist the temptation to do what they did for actually Batman versus Superman with the with Doomsday at the end of the one of the trailers, which kind of just spoils the whole darn thing, right? So all that aside, the Justice League trailer is so sweet. It looks like a lot of fun, and I, for one, am really excited for it. All right, well, let's talk some actual movies. Now, before I get into the reviews, I need to state something real quick. Last week, I said we were going to talk about The Big Sick, and War for the Planet of the Apes. And I actually completely forgot about that. I was actually going to talk about... I was going to tee things up right now and talk about Dunkirk and Valerian, The City of a Thousand Planets. And those are not the movies I said I would talk about last week. Completely two different movies. So I have seen those two movies. I have not gotten around to seeing The Big Sick, but I have seen War for the Planet of the Apes. So what we'll do is we're going to replace The Big Sick with Dunkirk... And next week we'll get to, hopefully, The Big Sick and Valerian. Maybe we'll talk about some other things, depending on what comes out between now and next week or the week after. You know, Atomic Blonde is coming out soon, so I'm definitely wanting to squeeze uh, a review of that movie in there somewhere. It looks like a lot of fun. But you know what? For now, we'll focus on Dunkirk and War for the Planet of the Apes. So first things first, Christopher Nolan's War Epic, Dunkirk. Dunkirk is the tale of, you know, in case you haven't studied this in school, the evacuation of the city of Dunkirk in France by civilian forces, and over 400,000 soldiers were trapped in Dunkirk, according to the movie. And the French and British forces were both trapped there. And because the Germans had the Allied forces penned in, with massive ships, with their with their planes, all sorts of things, the call went out in England to a lot of civilian ships for them to come and save the soldiers. And, you know, so that's what kind of the movie is about. And in a nutshell, I shouldn't say that's, that's not what it's about. That's what it's about if you really, really boil it down, right? It's about the Battle of Dunkirk, the evacuation of Dunkirk, and... All of the various things that take place during the course of this movie. So that's not a spoiler. This happened in real life. This is a real life war story. It's very famous, you know, so I don't feel like I'm spoiling anything here. I won't spoil too much of the movie, but I will talk about some things that I really enjoyed. One of the first things that comes to mind with Dunkirk is that when I left the movie theater, I felt stressed out. You know, I tend to go to the movies to relax, to feel a little better, to feel to have fun, to feel good, you know, whatever whatever people go to see the movies for. Uh, Entertain, that kind of thing. But Dunkirk made me feel stressed out. My muscles hurt, you know, and it was because a lot of the times you're sitting there tensed up, clutching yourself because you're not sure what's going to happen to the characters. You're not sure what's going to happen. Things happen out of absolutely nowhere. There are loud sounds. It's a very loud movie, by the way. You know, there's not a lot of dialogue. And I think this is such a masterclass in filmmaking and sound editing and film editing specifically because the movie, you know, it makes you feel this overarching sense of foreboding, the sense of dread. And I think that is such a fantastic thing. It evokes this feeling in you about war, that war obviously is not good. It is. It doesn't make you feel good. It's not cool. You know, it's just something that evokes feelings in others. And I think, that is one of the coolest things about this whole movie. The characters that we meet in Harry Styles from One Direction, isn't it, you know? He was pretty good for someone in a novice acting role and his character kind of showed the the fear that war can induce in a person and what that fear does. Cillian Murphy was another such character in another way, you know. We get to see him at two different points in the movie where he was this fearless, commanding, respected officer and then he's again appearing when he's shell-shocked and he's a a fraction of what he was. And it's a great juxtaposition between these two characters and even between Murphy's two points of his own character. And really, it's fantastic to watch. It really is. The movie also plays with the perception of time. It merges different perspectives. It shows that, for some, a conflict drags on and on, and for others, the same amount of time can be over in a flash. So, for example, one of the things they do right when the movie starts is that we see a, a subtitle, essentially, appear on the screen, a kind of a title card, let's say, and it's, it says a week. And then later on, we see one that says a day. And then later on, we see one that says an hour. And so if, you're, if you just read this, you may not necessarily understand what's going on. And I had been, maybe not spoiled, but I had been reading some preliminary things when dunkirk was announced way back like when it was announced back in last year or whenever and i do i do recall i don't know why this stood out to me so much that i remembered it when i saw the movie but i remember reading that the movie played with the perception of time so when i saw this it stood out instantly and i understood what they were doing but i know that some you know perhaps did not get it right away and that that's okay it wasn't necessarily super pointed in terms of quote-unquote getting it it was really cool how they did it. They played, they meaning Christopher Nolan, played with these perspectives and showing you the different viewpoints of the different characters at different times during the evacuation of Dunkirk, and that was really awesome. One of the other things that kind of went hand-in-hand hand with that was during this whole movie, during the various parts, the hours, the days, the weeks, we never at any point actually see the Nazis, you know? we We always are aware that they are coming, that they are around, and there's a very tense scene, and that's that's a word that I could use to describe every scene in this movie, tense, but there's a very tense scene where the protagonists, or some of the protagonists, are hiding on this on this grounded boat, they're waiting for the tide to come in, and some of the Nazis that are, I guess, over the hill, they're taking target practice and shooting at the boat, not aware that there are people inside, and we never see them. We never see the Nazis. We never see them at any point, even the scenes in the sky. And we see Tom Hardy, who is a pilot. He shoots down a number of German planes. And we never see the German pilots. We get a lot of close-up shots of Tom Hardy and his wingman, but we never see the German pilots. And that's really cool, I think. And so they kind of make them faceless, this faceless threat. And that's what that was an interesting choice because the Nazis are so often portrayed as these cartoonish villains. And I think... Christopher Nolan really wanted them to be real, a real threat, something that could really kill you. And people do die in this movie, but we never get to personalize them with a face or a name like you do in other movies like The Patriot, right? When you get to see Tom Wilkinson as the head general, you know, that kind of thing. So in that sense, that was a really cool decision by Christopher Nolan. And that, I think, helps you, the viewer, to focus on the protagonists, the main characters, who are just really fighting for survival. And I think that was one of the main messages of this movie. It's not really about war. It's about survival. It's about people who lie and hide, and as some of the protagonists do, you know, they're the ones who make it home while a war hero like Tom Hardy's pilot is captured as a POW. And I don't think that's necessarily a spoiler, because... Again, this is based on a real life conflict and that actually did happen in real life. But I think the idea is essentially that war is not fair. You just do what you can. Right? And I think that can apply to life in general, but of course, this is a war movie. Harry Styles to go back to him and I said the fear his character showed the fear that war can induce in a person and that's so true and we we get to see that at many points in the film that Someone will do something and it's not necessarily the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. It's just a very human thing to do. And you can understand why that person did it. And you can even think to yourself, hey, you know what? I, I wouldn't do that if I was in that situation. But the truth is, none of us really know, right? None of us would, would ever really be in that situation. War, even today, were to break out where we were all soldiers, would not be the same as it was in World War II, right? So, It's a fascinating look into what these extraordinarily stressful circumstances can do to a person. And I think it was a lot of fun. I I shouldn't even say fun. It was just so interesting to watch. And in that sense, it was a very well done moment and scene and theme in this fantastic movie. One of the other really fascinating things about Dunkirk was that there was constantly the noise of a clock ticking in the background. And I mentioned before, there are those three parts, the week, the day, the hour, that kind of all merge together at the end. And in each part, there's a clock ticking at various different times. I would say constantly, but its I don't think it was necessarily 100% of the time. Maybe it was just silent, a little more silently, a little more quietly in the background. I'd have to watch it a second time to really be able to tell for sure. But most of the time, there was a clock ticking in the background, and there was one part I won't say which parts because it's great to find out which, but there was one part in each timeline, because each timeline kind of follows certain characters, and there's one part in each one where the clock stops ticking. And When you realize it, I don't think necessarily you even realize it right away, I may not have, but when you actually clue into the fact that a clock is no longer ticking, and you think about why that is, it's because... Those people are no longer in danger, or their danger has ceased for whatever reason, or it has. the The conflict is over, you know. Because at the end of the evacuation of Dunkirk, World War II still goes on. This is not a battle that ends the war. It is uh, just another one of the many battles during World War II, right? So you know that the war is not over, and so I don't want to talk too much about the clock because I think the parts where it stops ticking are quite spoilery. But it, it was really, really good, and. I think without going too much more into it, I could say that this, I think, really could be one of the first major blockbuster contenders for an Oscar in 2017. There are other movies, of course, that have come out so far this year. Ghost Story, for example, with Casey Affleck that likely will be contenders for Oscars. But I think this is one of the first major ones that will likely be major contenders for perhaps directing, cinematography, film editing, sound editing, maybe even soundtrack, you know. So keep an eye out for that. Obviously, we're going to do an Oscar podcast. Obviously, right? This is a movie podcast. But we're obviously going to do one later on this year as we get closer to Oscar season in February. And I fully expect Dunkirk to be, if not at the top of the list, because, of course, we don't know how other movies will be received, but certainly up there because this movie is fantastic. And you haven't, if you haven't seen it, I recommend that you do, even if you're not a huge war movie fan, because it's not really about the war. It's about people... And the things people do in these stressful situations. And the war is just the kind of vehicle for telling that story. Although, I think it does a great job of honoring the people whose sacrifices allow us to live the lives we live today. Dunkirk, awesome movie. Definitely go see it. War for the Planet of the Apes is directed by Matt Reeves. As we said earlier when talking about the whole Ben Affleck, Matt Reeves thing, right? And really, it's a fantastic movie. I have to say i am so pleasantly surprised by the quality of these movies and this is the third entry in the series likely going to be the last one they keep marketing it that way one of the taglines was quote-unquote witness the end so it would seem that this is the last one but there's definitely room for them to make more anyways we'll get into that in the review so here is war for the planet of the apes So I mentioned last week and of course in the intro to this segment that the new Planet of the Apes movies were some of the best movies in Hollywood of the last five or six years. First there was rise of the planet of the apes and then there was dawn of the planet of the apes and then now there's now we're at war for the planet of the apes and the newest one is arguably the best one you could probably make the argument that the second one is a little better maybe a little faster paced not i wouldn't say better paced but just faster paced but this one is now out and it completes the trilogy what it also does is it completes caesar's story arc caesar of course is the main ape character main character i shouldn't even qualify it by saying ape he is the main character of these movies he's played by andy serkis in a motion capture performance of course andy serkis is most famous for doing Gollum in the lord of the rings movies and i would honestly say that for a character arc for a single character arc or even just as a three well-made movies this is probably the best complete trilogy that hollywood has put out in general since lord of the rings since we're talking about it right I'm including the Nolan Batman movies, the Spider-Man movies, anything else. I can't think of three consecutive movies in a series like this that have all been so good. They've all been fantastic. So entertaining, so well shot, so smart and well written. You know, all the characters are very interesting. The four apes that we kind of follow in this movie are so all fleshed out And they all have their little stories that we can trace back to the very first one with James Franco and John Lithgow and Freda Pinto, right? It's just a fantastically done movie. And if you haven't seen this, I really think you should, because it's not just about cool things and things blowing up and weapons and cool graphics and whatnot, right? It's not just about that. All that stuff is in this movie, but it's also about the conflicts that... This situation creates and how the characters deal with them, because the character of Caesar and his friends Maurice, Rocket, etc, they are compassionate, but they're, they're, they're basically human characters, and I think it's important for the viewer to think about the idea of what is it to be human, what is it to be an animal, and what does that really mean, right? Because those words are thrown around so much, especially in our current in real life, current situation, that I think it's interesting to look at it from this fictional point of view. Now, the conflict in this movie, since we're talking about conflict, is apes versus humans. And in a a quick story update, this is just the natural progression of the conflict that was set up in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. So in that movie, Koba, who is the quote-unquote evil ape, thinks he's killed Caesar, so he takes control of the apes' army and basically riles them up into believing that humans are all evil, they're all the worst, they all need to be killed and put down like the animals that they are because apes are the new power in the world. And during the conflict, the humans decide to call, make a a mayday call, a distress signal. And at the very end of the movie, they're answered by the U.S. Army. And it's clear that the U.S. Army is now making their way down to this part of California where the movie takes place and is essentially preparing to wipe out apes. And I think that's one of the more fascinating parts of the movie because... They kind of subvert the expectation of apes versus humans, but also the expectation that you as a viewer have from the second movie, because we learn a little bit about the humans that are coming to meet Caesar and his clan, and it's not necessarily all one group. It's a little bit of a peek behind the curtain of the human world that is now how humans have splintered themselves. So... I find it very interesting because the idea of sides, the idea of being on a side is something that's very prevalent in this movie, really in all of them, but they really go after that idea in this one, and I think it's a very fascinating idea to cover. Just to really continue that idea, I think this is an interesting point that the movie raises about humanity. Would we all band together in such a situation to survive something that would wipe out our race, or would we fight amongst each other? You know, the only display of technology in this whole movie—helicopters, tanks, rockets, you know, all all sorts of crazy stuff—the only display of all that technology and weaponry was used to kill other humans instead of killing the apes, right? And, I mean, the movie obviously wants to make you root for the apes, not the humans. The humans are all pretty much— huge assholes in this movie right every single last one of them including Woody Harrelson who by the way I will say because he was the only human character he got to be really fleshed out and even though you hate him for the kind of person the kind of character he is he's a wonderful villain he's really awesome and I think that's the kind of villain movies should strive for but it also had the luxury of not having a lot of humans just by the nature of the plot but in any case Woody Harrelson was awesome but to go back to that humans versus humans it's an interesting point, essentially, that it raises, right? The technology only really is used to kill humans. So what would happen in such a situation? I honestly think we would splinter, really, if you really get down to it. I mean, people already splinter over race and over gender and sexuality and the color you know, the color of your skin and what you sound like and what you look like. And it's all such a mess that I really don't see that changing in, in such a situation. They're always people who are looking for conflict out there. And I think that's something the movie makes very clear because it's not just humans who are like that, it's apes as well, and maybe that's something that's just inherently in creatures, whether it's animals or humans or what have you, right? They also tackle the idea of siding with your own species. Like I mentioned before, it's a conflict that's embodied in two characters. There's one that I think was just referred to as Preacher, and he's a human that... Caesar spares at the beginning of the movie. And then the other character is this traitor gorilla, so another ape, who acts as Caesar's jailer throughout the movie. And it's very fascinating to see their character arcs evolve over the course of the movie. And if you think, if you, I won't spoil it, but if you think about it within the frame of reference that it's about siding with your own species and think about why you would do such a thing, you'll understand why the characters do what they do within the movie, I believe. Even though Caesar spares his life, and even though uh, the gorilla was one of Koba's lieutenants or something from the first and second movies, it's just an idea of juxtapositioning doing what's right and doing something that's inherently within you. So I think that's something else that is a philosophical idea that the movie brings up, and which is kind of surprising considering it's called War for the Planet of the Apes. You kind of think there's going to be a lot of explosions. And like I said, don't get me wrong, those things are in this movie. It's just... That's not really what it's about. It's an internal struggle that Caesar has with himself about succumbing to violence, about using violence to achieve his means when he really wants to utilize diplomacy. And in that sense, the movie really succeeds in making you feel for Caesar. Now, if you think about Caesar as a character, he is essentially Moses, the character from the Bible. You know, he saves his people. They believe in him very fervently. There's even a adaptation in the movie about the filling of the Red Sea to wipe out the people chasing him. He leads him to the promised land. I'm not super religious. And really the only experience I've had with Moses was from that animated movie, Prince of Egypt, which was awesome. But even so, the idea, the story of Moses is pretty straightforward. And it's pretty well known in a, in a lot of different religions. So A lot of people like to compare Caesar to Jesus, but I think Moses is more the character that he is closest to, really. And I think if you see this, and there are other things in the movie that drive the point home a little more. But if you see the movie, I think if you think about Caesar as Moses and you see the things he does, it's very much something that they did on purpose. Now, the last thing I want to talk about in this review for War for the Planet of the Apes, and I think this is... The thing that will get it nominated for an Oscar, I mentioned that very briefly before in the Dunkirk review. But if there's one thing that this movie is getting nominated for, I, that I would I would say it is a lock to at least be nominated, if not outright win for, are the visual effects. My goodness, the CGI was absolutely crazy. It was crazy. I mean, you think about... Over the years of movies, starting with Jaws, let's say, right? With the animatronics and whatnot. That was the first real advancement in visual effects. And perhaps that led to the advancements in Jurassic Park. Around the same time, there was James Cameron pushing the envelope with Terminator 2. Maybe if you fast forward a little more, there was Lord of the Rings. Maybe if you fast forward even more, you could even point to... Iron Man or some of the early Marvel movies, you could look at Pirates of the Caribbean with the skeletons and then even Pirates of the Caribbean 2 with the squiddy things and Davy Jones and his crew. You know, and and you see these advancements in technology over the years. And of course, I'm missing some Avatar, of course, again James Cameron, but you see all of these things and I think about that when I see a movie like this that is so obviously focused on visual effects and the The best thing a movie like this could do, which War for the Planet of the Apes achieves, is make you not notice the CGI. And that's what happened with this movie. It is so lifelike. It is so crazily lifelike that I basically watched four apes talk to each other in sign language for two hours and I didn't look away for a second because you really believe that what you are seeing on the screen is real. Every hair, every smudge of dirt, every raise of the eyebrow, every smirk Every hand gesture, everything was gorgeously animated. And of course, that's on the actors a little bit. But the visual effects team, I would be so disappointed if this movie didn't get nominated. And I would also be frankly disappointed if it didn't win an Oscar. Of course, we don't know what else there will be to come out. I'm sure Star Wars will contend. I saw Valerian, as I mentioned earlier, and that'll probably contend as well. But... What they did in this movie was so stunningly real that I am so excited to see what is next in technology. And it adds so much to the movie to not even have to think about what you were seeing as completely fake, right? I mean, you're watching the apocalypse with monkeys that are smart talk to each other. I mean, it's so cool to see. And And then when you think about it like we're doing right now, it almost gets cooler, at least to me. Maybe that's just me nerding out over these awesome visual effects, but it is honestly really cool to watch. But in summary, for War for the Planet of the Apes, it's a great film. Caesar is a compelling character. Woody Harrelson's character is a compelling one. You desperately want to hate him while, while simultaneously rooting for Caesar, which is funny because you are a human and not an ape, right? But It's just a fascinating movie, a great summer blockbuster, great to realize that these kind of movies are getting put out in the summer, getting summer blockbuster, quote unquote, money, right? Because usually it's superhero movies or something like that. But again, to recap, it's a fantastic movie. It is not a waste of your time. Very smart, very fun, action packed. There's even some comedy in there. You won't regret seeing it. That's it for me this episode. Sorry about the mix up with the movies. I'm sure that The Big Sick was an awesome movie, and I will get around to seeing it because I am a brown guy who is in a very long term relationship with a white girl for quite some time. So I'm sure there is something relatable in there for me. But Dunkirk by Christopher Nolan was just too alluring to pass up. I do love my war movies, and I do also love Christopher Nolan. So, you know, I really enjoyed it if you couldn't already tell. Next episode, we might try something a little different. I will get to a Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets review as well. Saw that on the advanced screening of that, actually, because we talked a little bit tonight about the idea of visual effects and how they've evolved. So we'll talk a little bit more about that, get a little more in depth, you know, but I'd like to go back in time a little and have a discussion about a movie that has already come out. So we'll get some more guests back on here in the studio, got some good feedback on guests, and we'll have a roundtable discussion. I hear Die Hard and Star Wars are both film series that are on the table with my guests. So, you know, keep an ear out for that for sure. In any case, you've been listening to Houston. We have a podcast. This was episode four. Thank you for listening and good night. Don't call it a comeback.